Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators. Thank you so much for joining me. This is actually uh, the first time that I have recorded a culmination podcast in, in a little while. It's been a very hectic period of time for so many reasons, hectic and to some extent traumatic. Um, and there's also uh, the alcoholism issue. No, not for me, but certainly for, for some of you. And I, can, I could name names, but the break is over. And uh, maybe this is even season three. I don't know if we can get graphics, new graphics together that fast, but it does seem like a good time to 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 settle in for the for the long season between now and the the return of the warmth. I'm speaking to you from one of the true garden garden spots. You can see it over over my shoulder. That's right, Newark, New Jersey. Out the other window is Manhattan, but you can't see it from here. And again, welcome to Culmination. And I'm welcoming today to culminate with us together, my friend and client, Mike Barron. And it is actually kind of an interesting coincidence because I have, since Mike and I first got to know each other entirely by coincidence, I have gotten a lot more plugged into the world of comics and what's going on with that culture which is not one that I'm intimately familiar with, but I've sort of gotten pulled into this world of um, the nerds, uh, the YouTuber, you, you, nerd YouTubers who are uh, very interested in what's going on with Marvel, going on with Disney. Uh, so maybe Mike and I will talk about some of that. But the reason Mike and I got together, uh, well, we'll talk about that as well. Let me please uh, introduce and have join us Mike Barron. Mike, welcome to Culmination. How are you? Very good, sir. Looking looking at your at your fascinating uh background there, and it's not a little distracting. I won't kid myself. Distracting as hell, in fact. Florida man. Uh Mike, tell us the story. You are a comic book auteur. I've been a writer my whole life. I've managed to avoid real work for 40 years now. I've been fired from every regular job I ever had. So it's a good thing I know how to write. Uh, I wrote The Punisher for five years for Marvel. I've written Flash, Batman, Star Wars, many other popular titles. Uh, but recently I've been crowdfunding my own books. Uh, comics are just like any other branch of the arts these days in that they are split right down the middle between those on the left who have lost all interest in entertainment and those on the right whose primary job is to entertain. 
I met uh, Ron because I did a book called Private American. And the reason I wrote Private American, it was apparent to any reader that Marvel was embarrassed by the Punisher and was uh, trying to kill him off. And they've done a very good job. They've humiliated the Punisher a thousand different ways. Uh, so tell, tell, in... tell us about the Punisher. Tell us what, what the personality, you know, the elevator pitch. Who is the Punisher? Uh, well, the Punisher is a, was initially a ripoff of Don Pendleton's The Executioner. Uh, he appeared in a copy of uh, Spider-Man many years ago. Uh, and he proved so popular that he was given his own series. First, there was a five-issue series drawn by Mike Zeck. Uh, and then uh, I was asked to take over the regular title with issue number one. I wrote issue number one through issue number 65. I approached it as a straight crime comic. And for three years, there were no flying saucers, time travel, barbarians, or superheroes. Then we got a new editor, and I began to integrate him a little more into the uh, Marvel uh, world. Uh, and this is before about, anyone even started thinking about multiverses, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, there was a great science fiction writer named Philip Jose Farmer who who invented multiverses long before they came to Marvel. Um, but uh, when my tenure was through, uh, they hired a new writer and, and their changes were in the foot. And all of a sudden, the Punisher, whom I thought was should exist in the real world that we know, was interacting with Doc Strange and the Avengers and uh, cosmic characters. Uh, and to me, that wasn't the purpose of the book, but that's water under the bridge. Uh, many years later, I was looking at what Marvel was doing to the Punisher, and I perceived a, a vacuum there, a vacuum for people who wanted the old Punisher, uh, not in a retro way, but they wanted a serious American vigilante. Uh, in the vein of uh, Death Wish with Charles Bronson. Uh, he played an architect named Paul Kersey, whose family was killed by thugs. And then he got religion and he got a gun. Uh, another great American vigilante is Dirty Harry. Uh, but there were vigilantes in real life as well. Wild Bill Hickok was a vigilante and so was Kit Carson. Uh I perceived a great need for this type of character. And I asked myself, what would the Punisher be doing if I were writing him? And it seemed obvious. When, 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 when is this happening culturally? Is you're saying this? So this is, is this that close to, um, uh, to uh, you know, the, the, that Charles Bronson era? Is it the late seventies? No, no. Uh, the uh, private American takes place today because things have changed so much. That's where the inspiration came from. I simply cite those characters uh, to note that vigilantes uh, have always figured large in the American uh, uh, imagination, and well, that Americans about, uh, because there's something about the it's an individualistic concept, you know, and it's a non-state concept, right? You That's, know, true. Gonna, That's true. That's true, and, and uh, it's integral to our history uh, because when uh, the West was settled, when pioneers headed west, there was no law out there, there was no police force. Uh, and it wasn't until decades later, sometimes, that these towns incorporated and they said, you know, uh, we better hire a sheriff. Because first came the vigilantes. Now, and they weren't all good. I mean, we know there, there uh, were uh, a lot of bad vigilantes who hang people at the drop of a, uh, at the drop of a, uh, the drop of a what? An apple. But anyhow, there's a movie called The Oxbow <laughs> Incident, which uh, illustrates it very well. So vigilantes have always loomed large in the American imagination. 
And when I asked myself what the Punisher would be doing today, I knew that he would be on the southern border intercepting people traffickers, child traffickers, drug runners, and terrorists that have been pouring across our southern border like an avalanche. Uh, so we announced the book. Out of the blue, a far-left hate site called The Daily Costs ran an article which was headlined, Mike Barron writes another racist AF comic book. It was written by a purple-haired woman who has never read anything I've written. And it was obvious from the article in which she described the, the story uh, fallaciously without ever having read it because it hadn't been released yet. She also discussed my previous book, Thin Blue Line, as a book about white racist police officers who go into black neighborhoods to kill as many black people as possible. Well, the two police officers in Thin Blue Line don't kill anybody. Uh, they hadn't read that either. And when my editor, Chris Brawley, offered the book in PDF form to Daily Cost so they could read it for themselves, they said, we will take a look. That was four months ago. And as of today, they still haven't read it. Uh, this woman called for us to be deplatformed from Kickstarter, where she herself was running her own campaign for her own comic book. And she succeeded. These people raised such a hue and cry. And you know what I mean about these people. The, the mob, the leftist mob. And they all started writing Kickstarter and, and they kicked us off. And then Crowdfunder kicked us off. And Chris actually spoke to the head of Crowdfunder and he said, well, we're not going to have anybody associated with Comicsgate on our platform. Uh, Comicsgate is the name applied by the left to those of us who have broken away from the regular comic industry to crowdfund our own books. Comicsgate is all about entertainment job one entertainment everything i write is designed to entertain the fact that it has to do with current events should not come as a shock so much of our entertainment draws inspiration from what's going on in the daily world and that's all i was doing i wrote thin blue line during the summer of 2020 because i watched city after city going up in flames and each time there's some fool out front saying these are mostly peaceful protests. And then politicians, people who had taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, started to call for defunding the police. And I thought, this is madness. So I wrote a cautionary tale about two police officers trying to survive the night in a riot-torn city. There are no lectures there are no bumper stickers. It's all drama. Uh, that did very well. We attracted a lot of attention because we were attacked by the left relentlessly. And this always happens. Uh, and that's how I came to know you, Ron, is we were attacked by the Daily Coast. And we came to Ron to see if there was anything could be done. Uh, everything they said was a lie. Or as his, uh, Dorothy Parker once said, everything uh, he says is a lie, including the words and and the. I have completed a second Thin Blue Line script and... and uh, my artist, who is a full-time police officer, is about halfway through. Uh, and more importantly, I'm finishing up the second issue of Private American, which uh, deals with the ramifications of the open border again. And this time we get specific in anticipating uh, a major terrorist event on American land, which is going to happen. Uh, and who might do it? And in my book, uh, there are a number of parties vying to destroy America, including Chinese troops and um, Islamic militants.
And we know they're pouring over the border. We've seen them. They, they keep records about these people uh, as best they can. And, and then they fly them wherever they want to go in the dead of night. Yeah, well, you sound like you're talking the talk of someone who is not going to be particularly popular with a certain uh, kind of ideological stripe, that's for sure. And, I mean, you say that, that the comics world is split down the middle. Is it really down the middle? Well, uh, you know, the conventional comics are hanging on by their nails. Anybody who's paying attention knows that Marvel and DC are circling the drain. Their books don't sell. And one of the reasons the books don't sell is they don't even bother to entertain. It's not about entertainment. It's about indoctrination and speeches and shaming. Uh, and, and don't take my word for it. Go into a comic shop and, and pick up any book that, and, and see what's going on. I could show you pictures of Superboy kissing his boyfriend. Uh, right. They've turned every character gay. Uh, and what I mean, what do you think? For, I mean, from a, I mean, I have I've asked this question to so many people, including uh, Vinik Ramaswamy. Why is it that you think that these companies, which are businesses, don't realize? You know, it's one thing for the studios where they just until until they hit the wall in the last year or so, they were so awash in money, and it, it seemed that it would never end. So they figured, okay, fine, we'll we'll fix the world up the way we want it to be, uh, because money's no object, and so you know, audiences will take it and ask for more. But comics hasn't really been a particularly profitable enterprise historically. I mean, what made them think that they, that the people who are consumers of comic books would go for that kind of thing? Oh, they don't think that at all. Uh, comics, like any branch of the entertainment industry, is uh, is filled with liberals. But comics are unique in this way. Uh, they're the simplest uh, multimedia platform you can do. Anybody can do a comic, and everybody does. They also attract a lot of disturbed personalities. They always have. Uh, if you go to a major comic convention, you'll see what I mean. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. But a lot of these disturbed personalities. Well, I did go, listen. I did go to one when I was a teenager, and I did see Stan Lee there. So I know exactly what you what you're talking about. Well, Stan disturbed was a stand up guy. Yeah, and, and he had a mission, and he, and he stated his mission frequently, which was uh, to celebrate the good, denigrate the bad, and and lead a good life. Um, Excelsior. Yeah, Excelsior, face front, true believers. These days, uh, people are attracted to comics, at least corporate comics, and those that are established publishers, to make, an, make a point. They have an agenda, and the agenda is obvious to anybody who flips through the book. Uh, and it's an agenda we're, we're very well familiar with, and uh, it follows the narrative. I don't have to tell you what the narrative is. You all know what the narrative is, but in shorthand, it's this man, bad woman, good, white, bad, all other races, good Western civilization, bad, all other civilizations, good. And that now, in a nutshell. Listen, let me stop you. Let me play devil's advocate here. Well, wasn't that always true though? I mean, after all, Superman was his job, right? Was to stand for truth, justice and the American way. It's absolutely right. And 
that was a narrative about an American way, which didn't really embrace everyone and everything. And That's was true. Colonialist and was uh, uh, so. What's the response to that? Well, I have to point out that Superman was created in 1939, in a year that that the world teetered on the edge of war, and it was created by two Jewish kids, Siegel and Schuster, who were watching what was happening in Nazi Germany, and they appropriated the term Superman from the Germans, where it's Ubermensch. And they said, okay, this is your hero. We're going to take it and turn it around and use it against you. So Superman, and even more so Captain America, fought Nazis. Right. That's why they came into being. Uh, today, because uh, academia and every organization, every branch of government has been infiltrated by the left, there's no more consensus. And they can get away with stuff. I always say this, that most people have their hands full doing their job, taking care of their families and kicking back on weekends. But there's a certain class of person that spends every waking second scheming how to get power over others. And these are the people who have taken over our government and to a large extent, our entertainment industries. They're not interested in what the Constitution promised. They're not interested in entertainment. They're interested in their narrative and their agenda. And I, I mean, I think to some extent, part of what I'm hearing from you in answer to my question is, Ron, it, it is true that there was a point of view that drove comics, you know, in the 30s and 40s and even you know, and 50s and 60s. And it wasn't, yes, and it was an American-centric point of view. And it wasn't something that Americans felt they had to apologize for. No. Yes, of course. I mean, it wasn't. It was always meant to be entertainment, and entertainment, you know, any any narrative necessarily has a point of view. I mean, it may have multiple points of view, but it can't have zero. It's true. And as you say, there's no consensus, and the consensus has been affirmatively undermined. That's right. So that we're living in a world now where we say that we can justify as the Nazis did, we can justify the worst barbarism you can visit on other people by narrative. We can justify the most horrible crimes on our on the streets of America or bordering the Gaza Strip by narrative, by entitlement, by, you know, by people who don't, you know, and, and but the, the difference is because you're you're a writer, so you know all about narrative. Um, sorry about that. You're a writer. You know all about narrative. This is something very different. There's nothing artistic about it. It's it's you know they they, it, it's really a a Marxist capturing of of an of of all of all the arts. Yeah, and what I have to say is this has to do with a major shift. In, uh, in, uh, in American uh, point of view, uh, the men who created the Constitution were smart men. They were serious adults. They weren't in it for themselves. The Constitution is probably the most perfect political document ever created. And it put the primacy of the individual, first and foremost. This is the only country in the world which claim that individuals have God-given rights that don't come from government 
And we have to pay attention to the individual. And this has been supplanted by group politics. When you have group politics, you throw common sense out the window. As Thomas Sowell said, have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where people are being punished for something their ancestor did years ago, but people today are not being held accountable for things that they're actually doing. And, and that's where we're at. That's exactly, that's a great point. And, 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 it, and, and there's something that really doesn't add up here, right? Because the idea of a super of a superhero is here's a person, essentially human, not, not a divine creature, certainly not an animal, a human endowed with special powers who makes a difference, who makes a difference by recognizing a couple of things, good and bad. There's good and there's bad. And I'm going to, as a superhero, I'm going to take the side of the good. And I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a personal sacrifice as an individual. I mean, look, most superheroes are vulnerable. It's, even Superman, we have to work in the kryptonite eventually to make him something. I mean, my, I remember my dad telling me that Captain Marvel was the world's mightiest mortal. Superman was basically invulnerable. The point is, though, they still had to trouble themselves. They still ha they had a mission as individuals to make a difference. And as you pointed out, every single one of them was this is it's a, I just this is the first thing that ever, ever even occurred to me. These are vigilantes. These are vigilantes. Who asked Superman to come? You know, who asked Batman, who who doesn't really have superpowers? He's just a super. He's just a super guy. Who, who asked him to go and get involved? Can't Commissioner Gordon take care of all this stuff? And on the other hand, the modern sensibility is that we're gonna we're gonna do all these race swaps and gender swaps with these individual characters in the name of them, equity well not only in the name of equity but 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 also violating that framing of the individual in other words i'm going to have a black superhero stand in for all black people and he's going to validate or vindicate something about the black experience on behalf of all black people which is antithetical no one ever thought of superman and pardon me for being such a such a um, Neanderthal, just referring to the most well-known, you know, com comics. But no one thought of these guys as representing anything other than themselves. And the fun was, how are these super guys going to use their special talents, their special gifts, to make the world a better place? Which is really something that I mean. Don't you think that people seeing that in, back in the day said were in some way inspired? Well, that was one of the purposes of those characters when they were created was to inspire Americans and to bring out the best in them. Superman and Batman would regularly uh, deliver very short speeches about justice and what was right and what was wrong and against hate. Uh, but the first... Uh, purpose of the book back then even then was to entertain and and that's what we've lost because so much entertainment today has no interest in entertaining it's it's uh somebody has a point they want to get across they have an agenda there's nothing wrong with an agenda you can deliver an agenda and still entertain uh look at the grapes of wrath 
or uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Those are two lasting works of literature that are both fun to read and deliver an important message. But that's art. And when we see the heavy-handed messaging that's being done in comics, it's not art. It's not even craft. It's just <laughs> ham-handed lectures by angry people. And I'd be remiss if not if I didn't point out that the whole point of this incursion of people who hate us into this country and group identity is inspired not by uh, a, a will to do better and, and uplift all people. It's overwhelmingly inspired by envy and resentment. Which is not part of the class. In, fa in fact, those are qualities that were typically assigned to bad guys in the comics. Not not main characters. I know. You know, I, I mean, I mean, look, I, I guess, look, there is a certain maturity. I mean, we do have a more mature worldview. Wouldn't you agree than the world of um, Doris Day? And oh, there's know. no question about it. A lot, a lot of people say they're more sophisticated today. They're more worldly, but it may be they just have less innocence. Well, and that's that's true also. Although to some extent also there's, I mean, art, and every artist, every performer makes choices about what aspect of reality will be portrayed and what aspect of reality will be either, you know, essentialized or, or, or completely abandoned. We don't like we... In a regular slice of life movie, we don't show people going to the bathroom or taking a shower unless it unless it's for the purposes of the plot. Um, that that we don't want that level of realism. Um, in comics, there's there's supposed to be lots of action. I mean that you know that, traditionally. Uh, it depends on the title, but in superhero books, certainly. In superhero books. Uh, but as we matured, that's exactly where I'm going, right? As we matured, and as comics moved from something for young teenagers and you know and kids into, into really a, a, a fully developed art form, we see that even you, as you pointed out, have an agenda. And when you describe the story of Private American you're you're picking up the cudgel you're picking up the you know a point of view that you believe is not being adequately appreciated uh by others that's true and i have to point out uh that my private american marcos zamora a second generation cuban is not attacking migrants who are simply seeking a better life he understands what's that like what's that what that's like and he doesn't blame them he would come too if he were in a position similar to them he's looking for the people who prey on them and the people that are bringing truckloads of fentanyl into this country causing a hundred thousand american deaths a year and the terrorists that are flooding across the border that's what concerns him and it's the stuff of drama that's why popular entertainment has been uh, dominated for so many years by police shows and and lawyer dramas 
uh, and and westerns because those programs deal with life and death, medical programs too, and that's the stuff of drama, and that's what people want. Right. That I mean, you have the con the conflict is there for you. There's there's the you know there's there's the tension. There's the you know who's going to win, good or evil. You have character development. Or, I mean, you know these are these are fascinating fascinating works. Now you're now the world though is basically split whether it's really down the middle whether it's 30 70 or 60 40 or 2080 you've been basically kicked off the you know the, what had previously been thought of at, as non-ideological resources like kickstarter is there an alternate Yes. Root. So tell, let's talk about that. What is out that? of necessity? A friend of mine created a new group called Fund My Comic, fundmycomic.com. And we're on there. And, and uh, just so people know, I'm not a political character. I don't deliberately try to goad people. My first goal always is to entertain. And that my new book, Florida Man versus Hogzilla, is nothing but entertainment. Uh, it's designed to make you laugh out loud, and I guarantee you, you will laugh out loud. If anyone is interested in obtaining any of my books, including Private American and Thin Blue Line, go to baroncomics.com. Baroncomics.com, and it's all there. So how's so how's it going? I mean, how, it, are, is it? Would you say that the effort to build this stuff up? you know, as through alternative distribution and funding uh, channels is, does it give you hope? Can you oh, tell? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me how it's going. Uh, well, it's going very well. As you can see, we're back on Kickstarter. Uh, I think they, either they were embarrassed by what happened when they learned the truth uh, or they forgot. Uh, but uh, of course they look over the campaign for Hogzilla and they can, they see there's nothing controversial about it. It's just designed to make you laugh. And the reason I wrote the Florida Man comic, it's based on my Florida Man novels, is every time I went on the air, there was a new Florida Man story. I don't have to recite the headlines for you. Right. Uh, although I'm going to, there's one that's typical of all of them. Florida Man claims syringe found in rectum is not his. <laughs> and there are thousands of those stories. And I said, well, geez, this is the stuff of a novel. So I dove in and, I'm working on my fourth Florida Man novel right now. They are by far my most popular novels. I read a lot of novels, uh, but people are hungry for to forget. They they just want sheer entertainment. And uh, Florida Man delivers. I guarantee you'll laugh out loud. I've had so many reviews say I was listening to it on my car on audio, and I was laughing so hard I couldn't see. I had to pull over to the side of the road. And another guy says my wife kicked me out of the bedroom because I was laughing so hard she couldn't get to sleep. And that's Florida man. That's that's what my goal is with Florida man. My wife Anne is saying goodbye. Goodbye Anne. <laughs> so I guess to some extent, if you've got it, you know, I mean, you know, if there are all if there are alternative channels, there are alternative fundraising methods. Uh, that's a win. I mean, they've actually to, to some extent they've given you more freedom than you would have had if you had to stay within the lines that's true and uh those of us in commerce all support each other do you ever communicate with you know other other comics people who 
say to you, you know, Mike, uh, I don't agree with your politics, but I don't, I really don't like what they did to you. That's, it's really out of line. I think it's terrible. Well, there have been a handful of those, but I've been surprised over the years of friends. I had lifelong friends with, with whom I went on vacation. We go on motorcycle rides together. We stayed at each other's house. Just cut me out of their lives without explanation when they learned I was conservative. And I think that the left is much more likely to do that than the right. I try to hang on to my liberal friends. Thank God I've been able to for a number of them. Uh, but those are high-minded people. You're right. I mean, I think there's been, I don't think there's been anything like this before. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, you know, went to college, when I, even when I went to college, politics was a, on campus was a thing. And most of my friends were liberals. Because most, that's what most that's people right. in college are. Yeah. And now it is, look, I mean, things have gotten, since the time you and I talked about having you on the show, and the time we're recording this, which is November 4th, is it? Yes, it's the 5th, November 7th. Okay. It, I don't know why, no, what, what, what would make me say November 4th? Maybe the fact that my watch says November 4th. Um <laughs> And that's why I'm unfit for, for the work that I do, by the way, because a lawyer who doesn't know what, what the date is, is a lawyer who is looking for trouble. Um, but there is, um, the world has just, a, I mean, we've seen an eruption of hatred. And it's not only a matter of Jews and Palestinians or Hamas and Israelis. We see what is going on in the campuses and what's going on in, in, you know, in, in major institutions and the, you know, the, the moral inversion. You, I, if you made a comic like this, it, it would be so dystopian, you know, nobody would, 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 would be able to, well, and listen, I can't say nobody would be able to buy it. I mean, there's stuff in comics that is pretty, pretty far out. You know, no one's meant to buy it. It's not, you know, it's it's meant to to, to to be fantasy, but there's nothing fantastic about what we're experiencing today. I'm shocked, as you are, by what's going on in the world, and especially the waves of Jew hatred that are washing up on our own shores at every university. Uh, some of them are getting wake-up calls because alumni are notifying them that's the last time you'll ever get from me. And law services are notifying them. Every student who participated in these pro-Hamas rallies, they're not going to get a job with us. But this is what the modern university has become. It's become a, a, a sewer opening for churning out leftist thought. It no longer tries to teach people how to think. It no longer tries to teach people physics and history and philosophy. The people they hire to teach have all, they all have agendas. They all have chips on their shoulders. And then they hire these DEI executives for six figures. Now, that's just money washed down a toilet. They do no good. Money needs nothing to them. These people are so, these institutions are so awash in money. Again, it's, it's the same thing as with Hollywood. They are immune even to alumni financial pressure. Although, you know, I, I saw the, uh, a news story last week. This guy I forgot his name now. One of these super duper rich guys. Um, 
who gave 300 million, a multi-gazillionaire, $300 million to Harvard. And he said, boy, I really don't like what I'm seeing coming out of Harvard. Well, guess what? You're a multi-multi-billionaire. And you thought the best thing you could do with $300 million was give it to the richest nonprofit in the world? I know. They're grateful. They remember college uh, fondly. I have friends like that with whom I graduated at the University of Wisconsin who were big donors. Oh, Wisconsin is an absolute communist salvi. <laughs> that's been always true for a long time. Right, right. It, it always has been. Whereas Princeton, where I went, was a relatively conservative campus until just a few minutes ago. But now <laughs> it, it it has gotten it's gotten absolutely awful in all these places. Did you learn to write? In college? Was that when you first started? Uh... I first studied uh, writing in college. I wish I had taken it more seriously. I might be a lot further on than I am today, although I also think I'm exactly where I should be. I had a great teacher. His name was Jerry McNeely, and he was the head writer for Marcus Welby, MD. Oh. And, and Professor McNeely said, you make them laugh a little bit. You make them cry a little bit. You scare the hell out of them. And that's entertainment. No, <laughs> That is a pretty pithy summation of it. So what, what, did you major in, in, liter in English? No, I majored in political science and a fat lot of good it's done me. <laughs> well, maybe it made you a better, a, a better, a more analytical thinker uh, and, and able to understand world events than if you had read a bunch of, you know, Keats and... Um, Whatever it is, so. those literature guys study. I think so. But we were all friends back in the day. I had a lot of hard left friends. In fact, one of the reasons I'm writing is there was a newspaper in town, a weekly newspaper called Takeover. And it's just exactly what you think it is from the title. It's sticking it to the man. And I went over there one day and the editor was home. And he had hundreds of new records leaning against the wall. And I said, Mark, where'd you get all these records? And he said, the music companies send them to me. You want some? Take them. Just write something about them. Well, I wanted the records, so I took them, and I wrote something about them, and I've been writing about music ever since. Oh. In fact, I was music editor for the Boston Phoenix. It was my job to go out night after night, go to the clubs, listen to the bands, talk to the musicians, uh, and I loved it. I'm a huge jazz nut, but I always wanted to be a writer. That was my number one goal. And uh, I lucked out uh, when I was in Madison. I returned to Madison after I lived in Boston for seven years. And I was working at an insurance company uh, when I got a phone call from an editor and said, there's a guy down here trying to sell us his art. I think you should give him a call because he knew I was interested in comics. Uh, and that was my uh, friend, Steve Rude. Uh, and we created Nexus together in 1981. Uh, and Nexus is still being published today. It's one of the most popular comics of all time. Certainly uh, one of the most popular and longest lasting independent comics. It's a science fiction uh, superhero book that takes place 500 years in the future. There you go. And this issue won us uh, all the major industry awards, uh, particularly the Eisners, which are named after Will Eisner, who created the spirit Sure. Uh, and uh, well, he also turned out a lot of comics during World War II for the military. What I didn't realize when I was growing up because I was not such a big comics kid. And it should be fairly obvious from this conversation. <laughs> but I but but as should also be fairly obvious to anyone who familiar with what we'll call my work, 
that I was always uh, that that I grew up reading Mad Magazine. Me too. Uh, and that, to a large extent, um, did shape my way of seeing the world. Uh, I want to say, for better or for worse, I don't think it did me a lot of harm. No. I think it did me. I think it did me a lot of good. And and and, and you know, Will Eisner really was what you know a, a tremendous um, pioneer in in the in the early days of mad but but i also didn't realize was that a lot of the a lot of the comic artists that i hear comic people talking about i was looking i was seeing their work in mad because that was an, another outlet to sell your work to you bet i was lucky enough to know will will eisner he, yeah he was still active uh when i entered the world of comics i was got to meet a whole bunch of greats jack kirby yep is Stan the man. So so much of that stuff is still in my head, you know. And, and there's, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of ironic too because what is it about comics? There, there, it's an extremely visual medium. You're a writer. You're not an art. But I always wondered. I mean, I'm sure there are. I know there are a million, a million books and videos that that talk about this but you deliver a script and then they the, and then the, the 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 artist illustrates it obviously can't be the other way around cuz they got to know what the characters are going to do but the the choices that they make to compel you know to to convey the action um it it sticks with you sometimes for the rest of your life and these are really iconic a a very overused term in our in our moment but really iconic images that stick with you forever social media is so predominantly visual why is it so impoverishing intellectual intellectually that's a good question i think we can both agree that social media has been a curse in that uh, it removes people from the consequences of their own actions it removes them from reality uh, and you have people who are now social influencers they they do semi porn on tiktok and have a hundred thousand followers and that's what they do for a living uh, it also enables these trolls to attack people anonymously and spread scurrilous rumors it's happened to me. It's happened to a number of my friends. Sure. Uh, and that's just the other side of the internet. Uh, when I started writing comics, I drew each page out by hand. I'm not a good artist, but I'm good enough that anybody can see what I was drawing. And I drew comics. I wrote comics that way for 20 years. So I have a very visual sense. Oh, in other words, you you, you don't give him a typed up script. You 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 basically, you you have a sense of what's going to be on what page and even panel layout. It was an invaluable exercise uh, because it taught me to always think what happens next. And that's the essential question in all fiction. If the reader doesn't care what happens next, he's not going to turn the page. So I moved along like an inchworm from panel to panel thinking, what happens here? What happens here? I always had that classic dramatic structure in the back of my head, which is tension and release tension and release which is the source of so much of the fiction that we like you know that's interesting what you're saying because when, when i analogize from that to social media to twitter which as you know i like to play on twitter 
the analogy that comes to my mind is how much I dislike these super long tweets. I love a thread. To me, getting the reader from tweet to tweet to tweet in a nice long thread, which I haven't done in a while, is part of the craft. And it it is kind of like panels in a you know in a in a comedy. Now there's a point at which you're asking too much of the reader, right? I mean, I don't if it's a 75 stitch, you might say thread you 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 you've lost me well before 75 I that's true that. and we've all seen those things that go forever sometimes for days sometimes for weeks <laughs> and it's, it's usually they're, they're fighting it's like ferrets fighting says you no says you well that's a little so that's a, a different from what i mean I, i'm talking about threads where you yourself do a series of consecutive tweets right laying right, out right. you know so and because and to some extent i've given up writing i used to write you know essays and i used to have my own blog I mean, I still have it, but I don't really blog anymore because people don't have the patience to read it. And you know what? I think I don't have the patience to write it. <sighs> but when I want to say something that might take more than, you know, 320 characters, I'll do these consecutive tweets. And I think there are more interesting for the, for the reader, just as they're kind of like comic books. Mike, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about this stuff. And also that I got a little bit better sense um, of what you're doing and, and and where you're going with it and the, the you know the certain amount of success that you've had in forging an alternative way of getting your work out there and getting it funded uh barrencomics.com is that where i should tell everybody to go that's check it out? it's all good and like you said yes you are in the good graces of kickstarter once again but you know, they could take it away from you anytime. So you've got, you, you're not dependent on them anymore. And by, by being censors, to some extent, they really are under undermining themselves. Uh, it's but, true. You know, it's, it's just built into the system these days that that's how people operate. Um, Anything else, Mike, that you think, that you think is worth mentioning to the uh, culminators? Well, I always urge people to take a hat wherever they go. <laughs> there are two reasons to take a hat. One is to keep the sun out of your eyes, and the other is to keep the uh, yellow jackets out of your drink. And on that note, Mike, have a great day. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.